There we go. We're up and running. Okay. Well, um, uh, those are good things. I'm actually excited for you all. Uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing what God is doing in you uh, as a class uh, as, uh, as I move on to, to my new adventure. Uh, but uh, the last couple weeks uh, or so, three weeks, I think, we we're looking at Psalm uh, 45. And uh, today I'd like to begin looking at Psalm 18. And it is a fairly lengthy psalm, one of the longer psalms, actually. Uh, 50 verses long, I believe. And uh, um, so so we're going to take several weeks to go through this. Uh, we have about four weeks left uh, while that I'm actually in the class. And so we may actually take all four weeks or we'll certainly take at least three weeks on this. We obviously have a, a foreshortened study today. Uh, so we'll just see how far we get. Uh, and I don't, uh, uh, because it is a fairly lengthy psalm and we're a little short on time, I don't want to read the whole psalm. So we'll just read the, uh, the first part of it here in a, in a minute uh, that I want to try to, try to look at. Um, in, in Psalm 45, when we were looking at Psalm 45 there, that, the song of the celebration of the king's wedding, the focus there was on on uh, this wedding of the king and this idea of God's uh, of God's love for His people as a as a people as a corporate unit. So we talked about how how the the, the focus of this marriage of God to His people is is focused on the church or on the people of God as a corporate unit. Uh, and so the focus is really a the focus in Psalm 45, although there was some, as we saw last week, some some uh, reference to and some focus on the individuals or on us as individuals, as members of the church. The real focus of Psalm 45 is is on the people of God as a whole and God's love for the church, etc., etc., Christ's love for the church. When we move into Psalm 18, we get the other side. And the focus in Psalm 18 is God's love for an individual. Okay? An individual in this case is very apparently David. Uh, you'll notice we have, the, uh, uh, we have the introductory remarks at the beginning of the psalm. Of course, the, your, your translation probably adds some, something at the very beginning. My translation adds, uh, the Lord prays for His uh, giving... Uh, deliver, uh, Lord prays for giving deliverance. Okay, that's added by the translators of the New American Standard. And then right below that, in very fine print, you have this description of the psalm. And you have this frequently with the psalms. Right at the beginning, you have this description. We don't think of these descriptions right at the beginning of the psalm as being inspired. Uh, they, uh, but they are very ancient. Uh, so they're, they're not necessarily come, come with the original text of the psalm. But they have been uh, attached by Jewish scholars many, many, many uh, centuries ago, very, very ancient, uh, to, uh, to help the reader understand or know what is the context in which this psalm was written, or what is the context from which this psalm comes. And you'll notice that it says, uh, it says, For the choir director, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, 
who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And so, so this particular psalm was apparently written by David. Of course, again, it's poetry. It's a song. It was originally meant to be sung. And, and Paul, uh, or excuse me, David apparently uh, uh, wrote, that, wrote it with that in mind of singing it. And it's written in poetic form. It's written with all those aspects of poetry that we've talked about as we were looking at Psalm 45. Uh, but it was apparently first written or expressed by David after his deliverance from Saul. And we're going to think a little bit about that in just a minute, a little bit more about that context. But it was, but it was written shortly after his deliverance uh, from, from Saul, uh, who had been trying for some years to kill him. And, uh, and ultimately, uh, the Lord delivers him, and this psalm is the product of that. But you'll notice it says, that it was uh, that it says in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And uh, and so it's interesting that we encounter this same psalm we encounter in the book of Second Samuel at the end of Second Samuel, towards the end of David's life. We have this basically this same psalm repeated. It takes up uh, the whole chapter of Second Samuel 22. And uh, it's a little bit different. There's some wording different in, in some ways. And for example, uh, verse 1 of Psalm 18 is not in the Second Samuel passage. So that first little preface remark about his love for God isn't in the, in the Second Samuel passage. There are some other wording differences as you go through it. But they're pretty much the identical psalm. And yet the, the, uh, the expression of the psalm in Second Samuel 22 comes at the end of David's life after he's seen it's very close to the close of his life and after he has seen some victory over some of his other enemies. And so commentators conclude that this is a psalm that David actually expressed on several occasions in his life when he had great deliverances. Okay, so it's apparently something that he that he composed or he wrote he uh, uh, when he or uh, when he first had his deliverance from Saul, which was, of course, much earlier in his life. And then it was very apparently uh, something which he would then bring up and use again and, and, and express again at times of great deliverance. Uh, it, it, it seems like he may have actually gotten so he used it in public celebrations of his deliverance. Because after he was king, then, of course, uh, when, when he had a great deliverance, it was a great deliverance for the nation as well. And so then uh, it seems like he might have used this in some kind of public uh, celebration of his victory. So uh, these are just some things to keep in mind that, that, you know, these things we kind of piece together from this introduction that we have and and some other things uh, from the text itself, both here and in Second Samuel. Uh, but it gives us a little bit of the background of this particular psalm to understand this context that it comes from. It should help us, too, to think a little bit about David and about David's life and the, and, and the guy that David was, okay? Um, because this, as you read this psalm, it's, it's a very powerful psalm, and as we begin to study it, some parts of it will become, uh, are probably very familiar to you. Uh, 
but it's just uh, loaded with all kinds of, uh, of metaphors and, uh, and ideas and images and things that very clearly come directly out of David's life. Okay. So, let's think a little bit about David for a few minutes. David grew up, he was the, uh, he was the son of Jesse. Uh, he was the grandson of, of, of Ruth and uh, uh, Boaz, okay? And, uh, and he, grew up, he grew up and, uh, you know, as a kid growing up, what was his chore? What was his primary chore as a kid growing up? He was a sheep tender, okay? He was a sheep herder, okay? And uh, so it's very hard for us. We live in, you know, a metropolitan Oklahoma City and uh, in the 21st century, it's sometimes kind of hard for us to get, you know, kind of get into David's context because we're not real familiar with that. Most of us didn't grow up on the farm. I, I, I made a joke at breakfast yesterday from, uh, uh, from uh, reference to farming uh, thoughts and ideas and everybody else at the table just kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? You know, and I had to explain it because we just don't come from that agrarian environment. Okay, But David grew up as a sheep herder, as a little kid and as he grew up and he got older, he spent countless hours and countless nights and countless days out there in the out there in nature. Okay, he's out there on the in the hills of southern Judea. If you've uh, ever had the opportunity to travel in Palestine or you've seen the pictures, you know, of those areas around Bethlehem and Jerusalem and stuff. It's a very rugged area, uh, very hilly, mountainous, a lot of valleys. Uh, uh, I think probably at the time, at David's time, it was probably more lush and green, uh, more beautiful than than it, than it is today. It's kind of very dry. Parts of it are very dry and don't look that beautiful, uh, except where they've uh, now they've irrigated and and so they've been able to uh, to make it much more green. But but uh, so it was a very beautiful area, a very rugged area, and this is where he lived his life. Okay, was out there with the sheep in this outdoor environment where all these cliffs and valleys and mountains and trees and and stuff are. And but when you get out in the wilds like that, what else do you encounter? And you're living out there day after day, night after night. What do you encounter? You encounter animals, and we know David had some interesting encounters, don't we? What what do we know of? Yeah, lions and bears. Oh my, oh my. <laughs> uh, but uh, he, when he's when he's being interviewed by Saul before he's sent off uh, on his uh, on his adventure with Goliath, when he's been interviewed by Saul, he says, "Hey, this is no problem for me because because I've you know I've had to rescue a sheep out of the mouth of a lion." Okay. I'm going, uh, <laughs> no thanks. I think I'll let the lion have his dinner, you know. But but David is not like that. You know, David's responsible for his dad's sheep. And so he, uh, so he actually rescues this sheep out of the mouth of the lion. He says, then he kills the lion. Okay, you know, just for good measure. Uh, he says he's, he's rescued sheep. From, he says, and the Lord has delivered me from the paw of the bear. So he's, he's actually had hand-to-hand combat with lions and bears, okay? And who knows what other kind of wild critters he's had to deal with out there. 
But if you live outdoors a lot, you're outdoors a lot, you not only have to deal with the wild animals, okay, but what else do you have to deal with? You have to deal with the weather, yeah. Can you imagine if you lived in Oklahoma and you spent most of your days and nights, you know, out in the, you know, out in nature, uh, it could get pretty interesting, you know, particularly when you start getting into May and June, you know, it could get pretty interesting. You start having this pretty intense weather. And so when we read Psalm 18, a lot of these images start just kind of jumping out at us. Okay, This is a guy who's obviously been out there in some pretty severe weather. And he's a guy who's been out there in some pretty severe situations and very dangerous situations. And this is just how he grows up. Okay, But, but David is, uh, as you read the Psalms, because as you read uh, First and Second Samuel, you get some picture of David. But also, as you read the Psalms, you get a picture of David, and 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 it becomes clear that David is uh, he's not like me. You know, there's some guys in Scripture I can really relate to. Uh, you know, I can relate to Peter, kind of a bumbling, you know, you know, just lay it on the line, speak and think later, you know, type of guy. You know, that you know, I can relate easily to Peter. Uh, David, in some ways, is a little more difficult for me to relate to because David comes across as this very sensitive, tender, very creative kind. He's an artist. Okay, you all know what artists are like, right? Okay, yeah, they're very fragile. <laughs> you know, uh, I know this because I have some in my family. Okay, so artists tend to be kind of fragile, but that's. That's part of the temperament that makes them creative like they are, okay? And David is, a, David is an artist, you know, and, and he's a word artist. And then we see that as we read the Psalms, how, you know, how creative he is as he expresses his heart towards God. And we see a lot of that in this Psalm. So we have this guy who's very, he's very tender, he's very sensitive. Uh, he's, he, he's, his emotions are kind of, he wears his emotions on his sleeve, so to speak, you know. So, you know, at one point he's very volatile, you know, and, and then another time he's very sad and he's very, uh, you know, uh, 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 yeah, very, yeah, you see this sadness or you see this, you see this, you know, all of a sudden just great joy, this exuberance in David. He's just, he's just kind of out there emotionally, you know. And, uh, so, but we say that about him. But on the other hand, we find out this guy he didn't have any problem taking down an, a lion or a bear. You know, he didn't have any he had any problem taking on Goliath. You know, and and so then as he goes on his life, he becomes he becomes this great warrior. Now it's not I don't think being a warrior is the kind of thing that David would have sought out in his life. Uh, it's something that was thrust upon him. Okay. But he has become this mighty warrior. So by the time we get more advanced in David's life, he's he uh, he's he's uh, he's a remark. He's not the kind of guy I want to meet on the battlefield. Let me put you that way. Unless he was on my side. OK, he's you know, he's very, you know, he's he's a tough cookie. So even though we have this very tender, you know, very sensitive side of him, this very creative side of him, we have this kind of guy that, boy, when he gets out there in the war, you know, you don't want to mess with this guy. You know, he knows what he's doing, and he had many, many victories uh, in in battle. So, so this is the kind of guy that is writing this song, okay? And uh, uh, and, and as I said, the song was 
probably apparently composed or written shortly after his victory uh, over Saul or his deliverance from Saul, I should say. And, uh, and, 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 then, and then again, recited or brought back up, maybe revised a little bit and then used again at later points in his life. And I think that's instructive. That both those things are instructive uh, to us. Uh, one is that when we read this psalm, it's a remarkable psalm of deliverance. And you read this and he says he cried. We'll see here in a minute. He cried to the Lord and God, the earth shook and the mountains trembled and God came down, came flying down to deliver him. And this is a remarkable picture uh, of God coming down to him. In fact, let's stop and read it right now. The first, uh, let's just read the first 19 verses. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me and the torrents of ungodliness or destruction terrified me. The cords of shoal surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple and my cry for help before him came into his ears. Then the earth shook and quaked and the foundations of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. And smoke went up out of his nostrils and fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherubim and flew and he sped upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, his canopy around him, darkness of waters, thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him passed his thick clouds, hailstones, and coals. Boy, you see an Oklahoma thunderstorm here, don't you? The Lord also thundered in the heavens and the Most High uttered His voice. Hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out His arrows and scattered them and lightning flashes in abundance and routed them. Then the channels of water appeared and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At Your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of Your nostrils, he sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth into a broad place and rescued me because He delighted in me. And we're just getting started. <laughs> okay, that's just about the first third of the psalm, okay? And we'll stop there. Uh, we probably won't get even that far today. But, but the thing, one of the things that strikes me about it is I read this psalm and I go, well, this is pretty cool. Because this is the way God is, then any problem I'm in, all I need to do is just cry out to the Lord and He comes flying out of heaven to deliver me, right? That's the image that we get. That's... That's the view that David gives to us. But we need to keep things in context. This is the story of God's deliverance of David, first of all, from the hand of Saul. 
Now let's think about David's deliverance from the hand of Saul. Go back with me. Turn back in your Bibles to uh, 1 Samuel. And we're going to do a very fast little run through 1 Samuel. Starting in uh, chapter 18. And uh, this is right after David's victory over Goliath. And I believe it's the very next day, uh, as I recall. Uh, But... uh, uh, David uh, comes, um, let me find the verses here. Uh, So David is now with Saul and down in verse 11, it says, Saul hurled the spear. Well, verse 10. Now, it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul and he raved in the midst of the house while David was playing the harp with his hand as usual, and a spear was in Saul's hand. Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. Okay? Go down to chapter 19, verse 10. Now there was an evil spirit, uh, 19 verse 9. Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul as he was sitting in his house and his spear was in his hand and David was playing the harp with that same scene over again. Okay, Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence so that he stuck the spear in the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Uh, go down to verse 12. Uh, he then runs to his house. It says, So Michael let David down through a window and he went out and fled and escaped. Go down to chapter 20, verse 1. Then David fled from Nioth in Ramah and came and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he is seeking my life? In 21, verse 10, he says, Then David said to Jonathan, uh, Who will... uh, Excuse me, that's... uh, 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 I got the wrong reference, there. but at any rate, he escapes from uh, he, he escapes from the uh, city of Nob. Uh, I have twenty one ten, but the, oh, uh, maybe, okay, I'm in the wrong chapter here. Yeah, twenty one verse ten. Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. So he goes into uh, into the land of the Philistines. Uh, and then we go on to chapter 22 and uh, verse 1. It says, So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. And so we just see David in this constant flight. And Saul is continually pursuing him. And wherever David goes, pretty soon Saul finds out he's there. And he comes after him. Uh, in uh, 23, in verse uh, 12, uh, oh, incidentally, back there in 22.1, I want you to notice the cave of Adullam. Okay, that's uh, become significant in the in the life of Paul, uh, David. In 23, verse 12, it says, "Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and and my men to the hand of Saul?' And the Lord said, "They will surrender you." Then David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the pursuit. And so, again, Paul, or excuse me, I've been teaching Romans too long. Uh, David uh, escapes there from the uh, stronghold in the world, the strongholds in the wilderness of Ziph. Uh, in 23, verse 25, he says, 
when Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, and he came down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul for Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men to seize him. Uh, then you go to 24 verses, verse 1. It says, Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, behold, uh, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took three thousand chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks uh, uh, in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. And then you know the story uh, there about how David spared Saul's life. Uh, then in chapter 26, in verse 11, it says, The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now, please take the spear that is in his head, that had his head in the jug of water, and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water from beside Saul's head, and they went away. But no one saw or knew it, nor did any awake. For they were all asleep because a sound sleep from the Lord had fallen. So, David, so Saul is asleep and David sneaks in there and he steals the jug of water and the spear from right there by Saul while he's asleep. And so there's this other uh, great escape. And then we have in chapter 27 in verse 1, it says, Then David said to himself, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hands. So David arose and crossed over he and the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish and Gath, he and his men, each with his household, even David with his two wives, etc., etc., etc. And then finally, we get to chapter 31 and verse 1. And it says, Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Geboa. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkishua, the sons of Saul. The battle went heavily against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and pierce me through with it. Otherwise, these uncircumcised will come and pierce me through and make sport of me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. So Saul took his sword and fell on it. And finally, David is delivered. So the thing that, that strikes me about Psalm 18 as I read Psalm 18 is, is that if I'm not careful when I read Psalm 18, I just get this impression that as soon as I get in a pickle, as soon as I get in a difficult situation, as soon as I get in a crisis, I can just pray, I can cry out to God, and He's going to immediately come and deliver me, and bingo, the problem is resolved. Is that your experience? <laughs> exactly. Okay. 
So we need to keep in mind that as David is writing this, and even as David is thinking in terms of God flying to his aid, coming, riding on the cherub, and etc., and that image of God, of the earth shaking, we have to remember that David went through years, years of suffering, and years in which he thought he was a dead man at the hands of Saul. He went through that for years before he actually experienced the deliverance that he experienced. And so, when I read Psalms 18, Psalm 18, it is written so that I will understand God's heart for me. And it's written so that I will understand how God feels about my situation. But it is not written so that I will live under the illusion that that deliverance is just right around the corner necessarily. It may not be. And the expression of God flying and God coming quickly to David's aid is an expression of the heart of God. But it's not an expression, it's not a, it's not a, an expression of the reality of our experience of deliverance in the framework of time. Because in the framework of time, sometimes God just takes a long time to deliver us. And we don't know why. Almost without fail, we don't know why it takes so long for God to deliver us. And you probably, like me, have oftentimes cried out and said, Oh Lord, how long? How long? We see David praying that at many times, sometimes in the Psalms, saying, Oh Lord, how long? Okay. So that is our experience in time. But the Psalm, Psalm 18 is written so that we might understand that God is not just idly sitting by. He's not indifferent to our suffering. Okay. The second thing about the Psalm that I want, that I want to keep in perspective is that it is a psalm that, as I said, that apparently that David, I keep doing this Paul thing, that David repeats at various points in his life. And what that tells me is that there were several experiences in David's life. Of course, Saul, the experience with Saul is one. The experience with the insurrection of his son Absalom is another. And he has other instances in which this psalm is descriptive of his experience. And so when he goes through these subsequent experiences, this psalm that he apparently wrote back when he had his experience with Saul comes back to his mind and he thinks, boy, you know, I've been through this again. <laughs> I'm going through this again. So not only I think we should learn that from this psalm is that that while it is an expression of God's heart and it is an expression of God's promised deliverance and very sure deliverance. It is not a promise of immediate deliverance. We need to understand that. Secondly, we need to understand that once we're delivered, it's not downhill from there. There are other times of great suffering in our life. There are other times of great need and great crisis and great... uh, David uses the word terror here. There are other times of great terror in our life. So... So once I get through that first big one and God delivers me from that first big one, then I, you know, then of course I should praise him and thank him, but I shouldn't be surprised if I find myself a few years later in another big crisis. Because that's just the nature of life. 
So those are just some things to keep in mind as, as we contemplate this psalm. David starts out in verse 1 with this remarkable expression. He says, uh, let me get over there. Uh, he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. This is all we're going to get to verse 1 today. We're doing great, huh? Okay. I love you, O Lord, my strength. This seems a very straightforward statement, doesn't it? There's something interesting here, though we don't pick up in the English. Is that David, when he uses the word love there, uses a word that is never used of man's love for God any other place in the Old Testament. It is only used of God's love for man. It, it's loaded with the idea of intimacy, covenant love, faithfulness, etc. Et and it's used a number of times in reference to God's love for man. This is the only time in all of the Old Testament where it is used of man's love for God. And, and so here we see David and he's, he's using this this profound expression of love to express his love for God. Uh, this is a sensitive issue to me. Uh, I was uh, I was well into my adult years before I was ever able to tell God I loved Him. I uh, I known the Lord my, most of my life. I was saved as a small child. I had, uh, I had grown up in a Christian home. I was taught to, you know, I was taught the gospel. I believed the gospel. I was saved. Uh, I sought to follow the Lord. I read the scripture even as a child and a teenager. I uh, regularly read the scriptures and had a quiet time and and later in my life, I you know, grew up, I went in the army, I, I was a testimony for the Lord, I, I shared the gospel with others, I tried to lead others to Christ, I became involved in ministry, I did scripture memory, I did evangelism, I did uh, public teaching, uh, I did all that sort of stuff. But I couldn't say to God, I love you. And actually there's a reason for that. Uh, it's part of uh, part of my psychosis. <laughs> okay, is when I was growing up. One time, uh, I had uh, I was in, having a conflict with mom, and uh, and uh, and I had serious. I don't even remember what the issue was, but I had seriously disobeyed her. Okay, she was not happy. I don't know if it was something to do with my room or not coming home on time. I don't remember what the issue was, but I was probably late adolescence or early teens. And I and I just I'd, I'd blown it, okay. And uh, and I was being called on the carpet for it. And she was very displeased with me, and she was expressing that displeasure. And it was obvious that I was about to be disciplined. Well, when you're in that situation as a kid, you got to figure out some way to manipulate manipulate your way out of it, right? And I had the perfect plan to manipulate my way out of the situation. 
I just looked at my mom, with, you know, and I knew I was kind of her favorite son, you know. And so I looked at her with those big brown eyes of mine, and I just said, Mom, I love you. She didn't buy it. <laughs> she said, uh, in essence, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. <laughs> she didn't use those words. <laughs> but that's what she said. If you love me, you'll obey me. And, you know, it made perfect sense to me. Uh, and, uh, but, but one of the weird things about that was that whenever it came to a question of telling God I loved Him, I'd go, I loved Him, I'd obey Him. And I remember where I was. It was here in Norman. I remember exactly where I was the first time I ever told God I loved Him. And I still don't tell Him very often. Because I think it is something we should take seriously. You know, we sing it in choruses and we have it all over. You know, I love God. You know, And I just wonder oftentimes when we say it, if we really seriously are thinking about what a serious thing it is to say, God, I love you. Because it really says something about how we ought to be living our lives. But I do think it is important to say to God. So I'm not saying we shouldn't say it. I'm just saying we should think about it. And so I do tell God I love Him. And I'm really struck here by David's expression here of his love to God. Because he doesn't just say I love Him, but he uses a very special word. And he says, God, I love you. You are my strength. Now, later in the psalm, past the verses we read this morning, he's, he's going to explain a lot about what that means, that God is his strength. And we'll get to that eventually. But for now, since that's all we have time for this morning, let's just think of this week. What does it mean to love God? Why do we love him? And, and then let's just tell him. We love Him. But let's make sure that we're living a life that shows that we really do love Him. Okay? Next week we'll pick it up. We'll get to verse 2.